Welcome to Purpose and Productivity, a podcast made possible by the SkyPass Group of Companies and SkyLife Success. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Welcome again to another episode of Purpose and Productivity. This is your host, Krish Dunham. A magnificent Monday morning to you, at least it is for me. It's cold and dreary outside, but the sun is trying to peek through the clouds, giving us a little glimpse of the warmth ahead. In the messages past on the cross, we talked about the direction and we talked about the decision. When we looked at the direction in the cross, we talked about the past that plagued us, the present that pleads with us, and a future that we hope is pleasing to us. When we looked at the direction, we asked ourselves some pivotal questions about does the truth of God point inward to a heart that is willing to change? Does the truth of God point upward to a head that is able to chart a new course? And does the truth of God point towards the hands that serve and provide a charge going forward. Throughout this message, we have anchored on the four edicts that the cross ultimately is the significance of one person, Jesus Christ, one place, Calvary, one price, his death and resurrection, and one promise, eternity with him if we believe that that death was for our sins and they will be forgiven. But this is, again, the Christmas messaging that we are trying to bring together by issuing this understanding that the cross is something that we only celebrate when we get around to Easter. But in order for the birth to be understood as a origin, the death has to be glorified as a destination. So today I want to talk about that destination of the cross. But let's look at the brief history of the journey to the cross. We come across a time in Jesus's life when the young carpenter from Galilee is now 30 years old. According to Jewish tradition, he would have probably served in Joseph's workshop by the age of 15 when a young man would be expected to take on the tradition and the vocation of his father. Odds are he practiced as a carpenter The Greek word tekton is attributed to him, which meant he was a skilled carpenter. So what is this brief journey to the cross that began with a ministry that was only three years? It starts with a consternation with his message, where those that are wiser than him, more legalistic than him, more scholarly than him, are taking offense to the fact that someone claims to be the Messiah. Not only that, he is actually providing miracles. So there's a confusion about his methods. A, the Jewish people have already believed that the Messiah is yet to come. Here he arrives and he claims to be the Son of God, brought in as the Son of Man. Divinity is now clashing with humanity. Mankind is at ends with itself. So the elders and the learned have a consternation with his message. When they look at the fact that large crowds are being drawn towards him, he is giving simple messages of hope. He is talking about talking with the Father. He is asking fishermen to give up their vocation and follow him. He is giving great statements that are now in our anthology of understanding some of the most wise words ever uttered by anybody on planet Earth. 
But when he talks about his own journey, he talks about it from a point of, I come from nowhere and I will return to this nowhere. Nowhere meaning aware that we could not understand. I always existed. I am who I am are the words he said to Moses when he was God. And then he enters his own creation as the son. But the brief history of the journey to the cross begins with this consternation with his message, confusion about his methods, and condemnation to his motives because the the things come to a head when here is a man who is now saying that he is capable of forgiving sin. So while you can attribute some of his miracles to that which the occult already saw, that with black magic already performed, when you can look at people claiming that they have a direct lineage with God, these people were probably used to prophets talking to God, prophets prophesying about God. They had seen the rain uh, that was withheld and the rain that was brought, and they've seen all of the stuff throughout their work. And as we read the Old Testament, we see many people were connected to God. But God was always distant. God was always someone who was hidden. God was always judgmental. God was always in the cosmos somewhere. Jesus comes to earth and he begins this journey. So this journey towards the cross, this destination that he is going to take is also a destination for ourselves, which means everything that ended at the cross began for us. When he says it is finished, that means everything that man could do has been finished. God has conquered since past, since present and since future, believing in him, clinging to that cross allows us this glorious destination that allows us to move forward with him. So there was a consternation with his message. There was a confusion about his methods and there was a condemnation to his motives. Now, many of the people who listen to me from other parts of the world, some of them subscribe to other worldviews, subscribe to other gods, maybe. I subscribe to a Judeo-Christian framework and I've always advocated that man is tridimensional. We are mental, physical and spiritual. The spiritual attributes of our belief and our bearing have to have an origin, have to have a purpose, have to have some kind of morality we can cling to and some kind of destiny we can aspire to. If you look at the, the theological story that is told to us in the Bible, obviously, once this journey begins towards this cross, this journey that asks us to take up our cross and follow him is quite simple. There is the betrayal of Judas when one of the 12 that he anointed as his own disciples decided for a few pieces of silver that he would point out where the Messiah was. We all know the passion story that begins in the upper room and culminates at the cross. We all know that week of hosannas in Jerusalem and the songs that are sung about it. But once Judas decides to betray, betray Jesus, Jesus is now put on trial and the trial takes place in front of the Tetrarch Pilate. And Pilate basically does not want to have anything to do with this man. As the question and answer goes, Pilate says, what is truth? And you remember that conversation. Pilate ships him off to Herod. Herod ships him back to Pilate. And then Pilate, of course, decides that because Passover is coming upon them, that the Jewish people by custom would have had a prisoner released. And Pilate decides that this would be his great little cosmic play where he could stand in front of the people and say, who do you want? Do you want me to release Barabbas or do you want me to release Jesus? By then, the people who were in the elite, the legal scholars, the ones that who were part of the establishment had already made their decision that Jesus was a thorn in their side. Here was a man, as we said, 
There was consternation with his message because his message of hope went through him. There was confusion about his methods because his methods of healing the sick, of uh, making the lame walk, making the blind see, and even with Lazarus, raising the dead was something that again pointed to a figure. One person, one place, one promise, and one uh, motive. So then the condemnation to his motive. So obviously as that story goes over, uh, it is pretty much decided that Barabbas would be the one they wanted. And they said, give us Barabbas. So Pilate then very cleverly washes his blood. Now, history has been unkind to a group of people because, you know, when Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ came out, there was so much hue and cry because the movie predicts or actually depicts that the Jewish people at that time were the ones who had actually condemned Christ to die because Pilate himself gave them that choice. But I want to take us a step further when you look at the direction of the cross as we look at Christmas and the arrival of the Christ child and so give you this journey of why we need to believe in this cross because the cross has no bearing in the end if we don't believe what all took place in it. This birth has no bearing because of why it actually happened. Here is the son of God coming into his own creation trying to compete with the identity of man by trying to convince man that he is actually the son of God. And there the elite are saying, how can God's son be killed? Uh, You know, you can look at it nine different ways to Sunday. But when you say that God turned his back because he couldn't see his sinless, spotless son uh, take on the sin of the world. And that's why the world went dark that Friday. But regardless of which way you put it, I remember in church when we sang, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And I remember someone nudging me one time when I was singing. He said, the irony is we were. I don't think Christ was crucified by a group of people. I don't think uh, Pilate can absolve himself by saying that I gave other people the decision. Christ was crucified because it was prophesied that the Son of Man would come and he would die on the cross. He would die a lonely death because he had inhabited a sinful world. And he took the sin of the world on, but because of that covenant with Noah that no longer would the world ever be destroyed again, God had to enter his creation and give man a path towards redemption that would still uphold the covenant he made with Noah when when the world was repopulated for the first time. If you believe the account, if you believe the story, if you believe the process, everything makes perfect sense. Uh, I remember one time Billy Graham getting asked the question about whether the Bible was just a series of fairy tales, and Billy Graham was asked this question. They said, Dr. Graham, do you believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a big fish? He says, based on the evidence of my life and what I've been able to do with this evidence from whence I came forward and accepted this Christ to the grandioseness of my existence and what God has allowed me to do. If tomorrow when I opened the Bible that I believe to be the infallible inerrant word of God and I was reading casually through the book of Jonah and it suddenly dawned on me that the scripture now changed and it said, Jonah swallowed the whale. He said, I would just keep reading without without skipping a beat. The magnanimity of Holy Writ is just that. A transformed heart sees in it more than words that are put together or stories that are made to illustrate a point or parables that are told to illustrate a story. 
regardless of which way you read it, unless the heart is transformed, and that's why the destination of this cross is so profound. When the words from the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If it is up to you, please take this cup from me. I cannot. Why do you person? Why do you? Why have you forsaken me? It is finished. I thirst. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Words of comfort, words of assurance, words of pain, words of anguish. And that's why when I read the Bible, I always read it through this lens of what is the direction God wants us to take? What is the decision God wants us to make? And what is the destination God wants us to arrive at this, uh, this finality? See, free will allows every soul to choose this cross. Every choice that you choose is orchestrated by man. And every choice orchestrated by man is tested by boundaries that man sees around him. And in most cases, these boundaries are man-made boundaries. These man-made boundaries are designed to yield. That's why Chesterton said, be careful of which fence you drop if you never asked yourself why it was up there in the first place. A broken boundary yields new choices. So every time you push the envelope and something snaps, tradition gives way to superstition or superstition gives way to lore or some kind of behavior uh, has a buddy behavior. Maybe you took a gateway drug that was just something simple because you were hanging around with friends and it seemed innocuous. And then suddenly, once you cross that line, you say, you know what? Nothing so untowardly happened to me by crossing that line of taboo. Maybe I'll push the envelope. The other day I was on a call and someone kept talking about the problem of pain in this world and how can a loving God allow pain to exist? And I remember the words of the late great Rabbi Zacharias, who always said, the problem with this world is not the pain in this world. The problem with this world is the pleasure in this world, because man has exhausted his boundaries of scintillation. And as a result of that, because we have exhausted our boundaries, we are creating and inventing new games of debauchery. And that all begins with man basically crashing one boundary. So let's look at the logic again. Free will allows every soul to choose whether they want to follow this Christ. Every choice that is orchestrated by man will be tested by the boundaries that man himself has imposed. Remember, if the boundaries are given by God, God sent his son into the boundaries that were given by God. And the son is the only one who can take us past the boundaries. And that's why he had to enter a, a sinful world, take the sin upon him so that when he left, the sin of the world left with him. That's why it had to be a virgin birth, because we are corrupted as a lineage of people who have sinned since Adam. The destination of the cross is one of the most profound things I've ever seen in all of my journeys, because I've studied all of the works out there of the different people who practice different things, of the different worldviews out there that canvas and offer different options, of the traditions that require you go to temple, or the annual tradition of, or the lifetime tradition of making a pilgrimage to Hajj. Whichever it is, we all have traditions. But none of the traditions or none of the worldviews actually compete with a pivotal figure where right now in history, a cross separated everything. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ actually is a demarcation part in history. Historians like Josephus and current day scholars like Gary Habermas have proved the crucifixion of Jesus Christ outside of the Bible which means this is not just some holy book talking about itself or using circular logic to defend itself because we read it in the book that is part of our tradition. But let's go back to that logic. A broken boundary that always yields new choices leaves nothing but the carnal choices that man will choose. Sin has always needed a savior to correct and collect what man has done. 
Sin cannot be solved by itself. Man cannot say that we can redefine sin and hope that sin will leave the planet. There is evil in this world. And if you do not believe me, take off your religious lens for a minute and put on your social lens. Look at the debauchery in our streets. Look at the human trafficking that is taking place across the globe from selling of young children till today. And I'm not talking about the ancient scourge of slavery or the civil rights that were fought about it. I'm talking about the bondage that currently people exist experience because of addictions that they are now acclimatized to. And sometimes the addictions are Uh, are just energized because governments say that, you know what, if a person is using a filthy needle to inject heroin, the chances of them getting something like an HIV may be paramount. So what we need to do is make sure that they have clean needles to inject themselves. Trying to prevent one sin by introducing another sin has never worked. And that's why God said, There is nothing you can do that is good enough that will get to me, yet there is nothing that you can do that is bad enough that will keep you from me. I will stand in the gap and I will be the destination on the cross where the crucifixion that is prophesied from Isaiah will take place, that by his stripes we are healed. Sin needs a savior to collect and correct what man has done. And the only one who gives you the will to reject him is the same one who can give you the right to accept him. That's free will. At the end of the day, a coerced love is false love. It's never true love. And if we go back to the very word love, this redeeming love that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life and never perish. That redeeming love. You know, when you look at the Bible and C.S. Lewis later on articulated well when he talked about the four great loves. He talked about eros as the physical love, storge or storge as that relational love, phileo as that brotherly love. But then there's introduced the component of agape, unconditional love. What is unconditional love? What is that unconditional redeeming love that requires someone to love us so much that they are willing to die for us? Again, we're not talking about some kind of a mythical existence. The fact that there was a crucifixion and the fact that a man named Jesus walked on earth is evidence and it is provided uh, through history and through architecture, I mean, through history and through archaeology and any other numbers of studies. So what I want to end this series with is simply that when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ this Christmas that is presented sometimes uh, on top of a tree, on top of a church lit up, or as light streamed down from the church across the parking lot, as I see in many places in India, because the steeple of the church is the tallest part in that compound. And they run these streams of light all the way to the compound. And people from the outside look at this and it looks like, It looks like a tent, a cosmic tent, because technically there's no canopy, but you can see the lines of that and you can see the cross on the top. I've actually preached in a church where they tried to changed the sanctuary inside out and had the cross as the starting point because it was outside the building on top of the building that where you enter. And they made the they made that the altar and they made the parking lot the sanctuary because it was open air because many traditionalists would not have entered a church because it was considered a place of religion. One of the things that the cross is most known for in my life is not the religion I left or the worldview I embrace. It is the relationship that that cross offers to every human being. It offers you a decision you can make, embrace this cross. It offers you a direction that once you embrace, go and sin no more. But more importantly, it gives you that direction forever. 
that direction that points upwards, that direction that points downwards, the direction that points around, this cross that tells you that it is finished. So while we just quickly went through the history of the cross, while we quickly went through the history of the journey to the cross, while we quickly went through some of the reasons why he had to go to the cross, the most important thing is this sequence that I want to leave you with. Free will allows every soul to choose, and many of you listening have the choice to choose. Every choice that is orchestrated by man usually tests the boundaries that are imposed by man. Man-made boundaries are designed to yield. They are not God-ordained perimeters. God-ordained perimeters are a heaven that exists beyond, an earth that functions between, and a hell that is beneath. Man-made boundaries are designed to yield. A broken boundary always yields new choices because of the temptation that that gap offers. Carnal choices are usually the result which lead to a new kind of sin. Every sin in this world needs a savior to correct and collect what man has done. Only the man who climbed on the cross, one person, one journey. How simple it was when we put it. One person, one place, one price, one promise. Only sin that is collected by a savior is redeemed. The one who gave you the will to reject him is the same one who gives you the right to accept him. So this Christmas, look beyond the lights, look beyond the gifts, look beyond the trees. Look to the cross and ask yourself, is the decision that was made on that cross on the Easter so profound that it began at Christmas? Until next time, God bless you. And if I don't get to you before then, Merry Christmas. That concludes another episode of Purpose and Productivity with Chris Dunham, brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at chrisdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com, where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.